0: Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barkers UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we share our responses to the top questions and concerns from our customers and clients, including the latest on the US and UK interest rate rises, with Miles Sherry, Investment Consultant, and Luke Pearce, Senior Investment Strategist. If you are new to investing, Want to learn more about investing or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans? Check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify and SoundCloud.
1: Hello and welcome to Word on the Street. As with every week so far this year, it seems, it's certainly been another busy one. The conflict, of course, very much remains front of mind. But it's also been a big week in terms of interest rates with central bankers in both the US and the UK opting to raise them over the last couple of days. More specifically, we've also seen some pretty big swings in certain parts of the market, including oil prices falling and some Chinese technology stocks rebounding quite significantly. Luckily for me, the challenging task of deciphering what this all means for investors falls to Luke, unlucky Luke, as I'm back in the hot seat putting some questions I've been getting directly to him. I can certainly assure you sitting on this side of the table is a much better place to be. Luke, it would be remiss of us not to start with Russia and Ukraine. The humanitarian crisis very sadly grows ever worse by the day. But what developments have we seen over the course of the week and and how have markets continued to react off the back of that?
2: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to host one day and put you in the hot seat, my uh, <laughs> um Yeah, there there's, seems to be some peace talks going on in, in the background. We are yet to see any kind of resolution here, though. So, you know, unfortunately, Russia does continue to, to wage war in Ukraine. Um, in terms of markets, they still remain fairly volatile. But I do think that volatility has subsided or, or sort of come down a little bit over the last week or two. Uh, not by much, but but certainly by a little bit, I'm um, certainly noticeable. And actually, you can see that in the stock market performance this week. So stocks have had a pretty decent week so far. I think what's kind of interesting, you know, if you look back since, if you just look to the asset class performance since since Russia inv- uh, decided to invade Ukraine, some assets have actually almost done a complete round trip from that initial reaction. So, for example, if we look at where stocks are trading, they're now trading just about below where they were a month ago. Oil is now technically in a bear market, having fallen more than 20% from a recent high of $125 per barrel. It's now trading pretty much bang on, $100 per barrel. If you look to gold, that did trade above $2,050 per ounce. Today it's, or At the time of recording, it's trading around about $1950. And if you look to safe haven assets, so government bond yields, and they're actually now trading sort of 10 to 15, or in some cases, 20 basis points higher depending on which maturity you're looking at versus where they were a month ago. Um, So some pretty, pretty big round moves. Um, On the flip side, we have seen some assets struggle to regain their losses. So emerging market debt uh, in particular has has struggled, um, particularly local currency debt. So here is uh, local currency debt is simply where you get the exposure to the emerging market currencies as well. We've also seen US high yield bonds struggle, uh, although to a far lesser degree, and interestingly, sterling um, sterling versus the U.S. dollar um, has also struggled to, to retrace its sell off. So that was trading at around about 136 a month ago um, versus just shy of 132 today. So the, the war in Ukraine is still very much impacting markets, but the degree to which really depends kind of where you look. And I do think you need to be um, you need to be a little bit selective about kind of where you look.
1: Yeah. So plenty going on under the under the car bonnet, I, I guess you could say. But I think that, that point around the oil market being in bear territory technically is, is very interesting. And, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. But let's move our attention to interest rates, because as I said, alongside the conflict, that's something investors are keeping a very close eye on. Yesterday, we saw the conclusion of the latest Federal Reserve meeting. So that's the US- central bank. Now, we've talked a lot, haven't we, over the past weeks and months about high inflation and how central bankers may react. And as largely expected, the US bait rates of interest is going up for the first time since 2018. Now, Chairman Powell has previously said, and actually, again, reiterated, that the Fed will do whatever it takes to get inflation back to a normal level. I'm channeling my inner Will Hobbs here with a bit of a trip down memory lane, But some have compared his tones uh, to Paul Volcker. This is Powell's tones to Paul Volcker. And he chaired the committee back in the late 70s and 80s. Incredibly, that was actually the last time we really saw a sustained period of higher inflation. And the efforts back then, at least, to put a lid on inflation ultimately led the U.S. into recession. But Powell seemed somewhat more upbeat, didn't he, really, arguing that the U.S. economy can still flourish with less accommodative monetary policy. So what were your takeaways there? I expect as well that some some of our listeners might also be a little bit confused as to why the US market actually rose around about 2% on the day.
2: Yeah, the Fed did, it, uh, they raised rates by 25 basis points, which was pretty much expected a month or two ago. Investors were kind of flirting with the idea of raising by 50 basis points, but those expectations came back down pretty quickly. So it, it was just 25 basis points in the end. But I think, I think what, what a lot of people were surprised at was really the tone in the meeting minutes and actually the press conference. So it was pretty strong and and aggressive from from Powell, as you kind of alluded to. So there's a couple of things you can kind of look at here. So for one, you know, the so-called dot plot. Um, So this is where each voting member on the committee um, kind of sees interest rates and how they are going to evolve over the next couple of years. Um, So if you look at a chart of this, it's quite literally a dot for each member. That showed that they now believe interest rates will need to be raised much higher than they previously thought in order to curb inflationary pressures. And then if you listened to Powell in the press conference, um, he, he again, there was evidence of a, a really strong tone about needing to curb inflation. So he even at one point called the labor market unhealthily strong, um, which is a very unusual thing to hear from a kind of Fed chair. And again, another signal that they are very concerned about inflation becoming entrenched, and re-emphasizing that they will do what they can uh, and use the tools at their disposal to reduce inflation back down to to target levels. Now, based on what we know today, what that actually looks like is raising interest rates a further six times, so roughly another one and a half percent throughout the rest of this year. Um, But that can, of course, change as as economic conditions change and new data, data comes in. I think just on the market reaction to the day, particularly in the stock market, it was kind of interesting, especially if you, you take it at face value. So I think many people, if you'd have told them what the outcome of the Fed meeting was going to have been and the tone that Powell was going to take, I don't think many people would have expected stocks to end it up the day 2%. Exactly. Um, yeah, but I think you've got to remember here that there is other stuff going on in the world. So again, we want to be a little bit worried about reading too much into to daily market moves, but I suspect it's more related to headlines around Ukraine and how investors are kind of positioned going into these events and how they react after those events. So yeah, don't don't read too much into it. But yeah, it is it is an interesting market reaction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And And literally just before we started recording this, uh, we've also seen the Bank of England also raise interest rates here in the UK. So what's the market reaction looking like so far? Again, obviously, a, a very short term period we're looking at. And it was also interesting, wasn't it, to see a slightly different tone from them, at, at least relative to to the Fed, as you said.
2: Yeah, absolutely. been a very busy week for central banks uh, this week. Um, yes, yeah, so the Bank of England also raised uh, interest rates by 25 basis points. Again, no real surprises there. Um, For very similar reasons to the Fed, they're looking to bring inflation back to target and and try to ensure that it doesn't become entrenched. Um, But as you you said, the the Bank of England's tone certainly didn't seem to be as aggressive as the Fed, certainly relative to what markets were expecting anyway. And I think you can tell this by the the market reaction to UK assets. So UK bond yields uh, were actually down for the day. And you've also seen sterling versus the US dollar weakening. Um, so the reason it's weakening is that lower interest rate differentials versus the US make the currency less attractive and therefore investors sell it. Um, so in a nutshell, the Bank of England probably disappointed a little bit in terms of how aggressive the market thought they were going to be. Other takeaways from the statement is that the war in Ukraine has resulted um, unsurprisingly in their inflation forecasts being revised higher and the risks here are very much tilted to the upside. And then the other, I I think, difference between the Bank of England and the Fed is that the Bank of England really emphasised and cautioned um, the impact that the rise in inflation will have on the cost of living for consumers. And this was already a concern even prior to the invasion. So you've seen a substantial increase in energy costs in particular. And I do think there is a real risk that we could see further increases when um, the off-gem cap resets again in October if energy prices do remain elevated. And actually, this was one of the reasons why one out of the nine members of the Monetary Policy Committee, so it's the committee who, who decide um, or set the direction for monetary policy, including the rate hikes. So one of them actually dissented and voted against the rate hike. Um, you know, central banks, frankly speaking, have a really tough job right now. There's a real delicate balance to be struck on, on the one hand, kind of curtailing inflation expectations and trying to remain credible, um, and that's very important. I think central bank credibility has been a key factor in helping to keep inflation pretty low and pretty stable for the last 20 or 30 years. Um, versus on the other hand, raising interest rates you know, too much and actually slowing economic growth even further and potentially um, tipping the economy into recession. That's a very delicate balance to be struck. The other thing to keep an eye on is the spring statement next week from Rishi Sunak. So there seems to be sort of increasing pressure from the government to alleviate pressure on the cost of living for households um, that said we haven't really heard too much in terms of what to expect beyond the um, kind of the energy rebates and the cut to council tax bills which have kind of already been announced um, but we'll of course be watching that to see if there is any uh, any support from the government
1: yeah and we've got a really interesting episode to your point there lined up next week to review that budget statement with a variety of guests so look forward to that one next week but thinking about things More broadly, as ever with investing, there are downside risks. Of course, there are. There always will be. But it sometimes doesn't actually take much positive news in this sort of market in particular to see a rebound. Now, I referenced Chinese tech stocks at the start. We saw a significant rise in some of those on Wednesday after the official news agency in China said that the authorities would provide support to markets and actually hinted most of the regulation on those names now may be done. Time will tell. That's one specific example, but something I'm getting asked more generally is what might it take to see risk assets move upward more broadly?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, and I think that there's I think there's quite an important point to make here, which is perhaps a little counterintuitive uh, at face value as well. But things don't even necessarily have to go right or be kind of perfect for markets to rebound or do well so if you think about it today's market prices incorporate you know uh, future expectations both the good the bad and the ugly so as prices change that simply um, reflects expectations changing what that actually means is the outlook can go from you know really really bad to just kind of bad and actually markets can do quite well and in fact that's often what you see at the bottom of big big market sell-offs. So expectations become so downbeat that any whiff of things becoming even just slightly less bad is, is a big relief for markets. So um, things can still certainly go right or certainly become less less bad. Um, I think top of most people's list would be a de-escalation in Ukraine. That would be obviously great news um, beyond the market's perspective as well. It's not unimaginable to see inflation come down, perhaps through a combination of lower commodity prices or, easing the supply chain pressures. It's also not implausible to see central banks actually continue to raise rates whilst the labour market remains strong and let's not forget that actually overall demand conditions still look pretty decent even if they're not as high as as last year so lots of plausible things that could go right for the rest of the year but i think given where we are today i do think the range of outcomes and economic outcomes is is still quite wide from here
1: yeah no absolutely and we'll we'll see how things play out and it is important to think of those possible upside scenarios but as i said there are of course always downside risks too that's ultimately part and parcel of investing and what we ultimately hope to be rewarded for over over the long term but stagflation fears so a period when inflation is running higher and economic growth is low or maybe even negative is the challenge I'm probably hearing most from investors around why they why they may not want to invest some of that excess cash today so so what's the latest thinking there or or what points would you make in, in that regard
2: yeah, and that's an understandable fear. So um, we haven't really had any kind of genuine fears of stagflation probably for the last sort of 30 or 40 years. But I think obviously um, the things were heading that way anyway. And then Russia invading Ukraine has possibly exacerbated that, um, particularly through the impact on on commodity prices and the impact that that will have on inflation. But I think there's, there's probably a couple of points to make here. Firstly, is that growth levels, you know, as I mentioned just, just now, growth levels still remain really decent. Yes, they will come down versus last year, but last year was exceptionally strong. We're still running at a very strong pace in terms of kind of growth. The second point is that although inflation, you know, current levels of inflation remain pretty elevated, I don't think we're seeing a de-anchoring of inflation expectations, um, which I think is where a lot of the comparison to the 1970s are a little bit off base, um, where I think you did see a bit of a de-anchoring of inflation expectations. And that's why central banks really needed to, to react then if you look at long-term inflation expectations in the us um, just marginally above the fed's target um i think 10 basis points literally something like that um which is in part i think testament to the credibility of central banks and their ability to keep inflation tame things are slightly different in the uk where longer term expectations are a little bit higher um, there are pretty good reasons for this uh, which i think chris bamford and will discussed. i think one or two episodes ago um if you haven't listened to that i would definitely go back and listen to that i won't repeat everything they discussed here um but ultimately if you're thinking about this in in an investment context it really boils down to what you believe the prospective returns are for multi-asset portfolios versus sitting in cash now, it's clearly a very self-serving message, but we still genuinely believe that returns for those kind of portfolios are attractive and actually are probably one of your better chances of beating inflation over the long term, even if inflation does remain elevated in, in the near term.
1: Yeah, because the, the point to remember there, right, is that compounding can work for you potentially when you are invested, but also work against you if you're not invested in terms of that inflation over time, eroding eroding the value of, of your wealth. It's a, it's a very good point. Right. Let's go, let's go back to commodities. Regular listeners will, of course, have heard us say many, many times that the team's decision a little over a year ago to meaningfully add to the asset class in some of our portfolios and funds has, has proven so far, at least, to be a great call. Now, I expect if we do see stagflation, they may be more resilient than some other asset classes, at least. But one question I've noticed cropping up recently is whether investors should be taking profits or actually maybe even adding more to commodities particularly given oil, as you said earlier, has now fallen back to around 100 US dollars a barrel or so.
2: Yeah, and I think this this kind of relates to to your earlier question around inflation and how much of a risk is that? Well, how much of a risk it is depends a little bit what your your portfolio looks like. So you don't just need to confine your portfolio to stocks and bonds, having assets like commodities, which tend to do well during periods of rising unexpected inflation, as they have done for the last six months or a year. That helps to diversify portfolios in, in different macro environments. You know, if you look the last 20 years or so, bonds have been a great diversifier to stocks, but that hasn't really been the case recently. And I think that's a really important reminder of why you shouldn't solely look at the past when building portfolios. It's very, very important to consider multiple different futures and really think about the assumptions that you're making. But I suppose that actually answered the question, should, should, you, should you take profits or should investors be looking to take profits on commodities? So we still like commodities as part of a long-term allocation. So that's very much your strategic asset allocation. But we do think any tactical bets on commodities are pretty tricky. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier how quickly the price of oil has fallen 20% in a matter of one or two weeks. So you, you just have to be a little bit too cute on the timing for our liking. One thing I would say, and uh, one thing investors should certainly keep an eye on, is to check if your current allocation to commodities has drifted significantly away from your longer-term target allocation. Um, Just that's probably likely the case, given they have significantly outperformed most other asset classes in your portfolio year to date, certainly have outperformed a lot of the asset classes in our universe as well. So investors might want to consider rebalancing back to long term target allocations if that has drifted too much. That's something we keep a pretty close eye on in our funds and in our our portfolios. But I wouldn't necessarily describe that as profit-taking, although that probably is if you do decide to rebalance. It's kind of more a question around risk management and having the right exposures in the portfolio and not letting them drift too much.
1: Yeah, no, it's a a very important distinction to make. So look, I'm hoping you provided some some good context and, and reassurance there. But if you are listening to this, and maybe do have some excess cash that you can afford to invest over the long term, but do remain pretty nervous, don't forget the option of phasing money into the market gradually over a period of, say, a few weeks or or even months. It won't always pay out this way, but the textbook theory generally suggests that the best time to invest is on day one, practically though if it's going to leave you sleepless at night and worrying that might not actually be the best thing to do so phasing money in allows you to start putting some money to work whilst entering the market at various different market levels now Luke I know you and the team have looked at this over the years we obviously can't just solely rely on history and what's happened in the past but what does that kind of research generally speaking suggest?
2: Yeah, you're right. We, we've looked at this um, quite a bit, um, mainly through sort of clients asking us that very question. And, and the data does show that typically investors are better off getting just fully invested day one, um, just simply because of the fact that markets tend to go up over time. So the longer you wait to get invested, generally speaking, or on average, you would tend to miss out on returns. Um that works great if you're an emotionless robot and can do that um, behaviorally um, in, in the real world. This can be very, very difficult to do. And again, as I said, this is really the only case on average. But for that kind of activity, you're clearly not getting more than one go at it. So, you know, outcomes can vary quite a bit. Yeah. You know, it, your experience would have been very different if you'd decided to get fully invested in day one at the beginning of 2020, just before the, the pandemic versus the summer of 2020, for, for example. Absolutely. I think those decisions often come around to, I think one of the questions you want to ask yourself is what are you going to least regret? I think that's quite quite a nice way of thinking about it.
1: Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Look, we've, we've hit time there, so we'll wrap things up. But thanks again for that, Luke. I think that was very interesting and insightful indeed. Enjoy the weekend when it comes. And as I said, we'll speak next week, focusing specifically on that spring budget. So yeah, have a good weekend and speak soon.
0: All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.